our actions reveal what we really believe. I'll say that again. Our actions reveal what we really believe. So we've been going through this series, Summer in the Psalms, and we've hit the magisterial psalms, which are all about God as king. God rules the universe. God has final authority. God is sovereign. And we talked about it for several weeks, and we've played this song, My Way. And I hope every time you hear this song, you think about the magisterial psalms. And there's one line in particular that I want us to catch, because it's all about my way, right? And he says, what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, he has not. And then he continues, and he talks about the words, not as one who kneels. Meaning, what Sinatra was talking about is, I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to kneel. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to submit to anyone else's authority. I want my own authority. And so we've been talking about how we don't want to live that way. As Christians, we've been called to live a different way. We've been called to be ones who do kneel, who do bow to the authority of God. That's what these magisterial psalms are all about. Recognizing God as the final authority and our lives are called to submit to Him. So we've been talking about it, but our actions reveal what we really believe. So it's easy to talk about, yes, God is King of the universe. Yes, God is sovereign. But do you really believe that? Do your actions show that? When that sin that you love comes knocking at the door, you know that sin that, that you know you're not supposed to partake of, that sin, maybe for you kids it's sneaking a cookie. I know mom said, don't get another cookie. But man, that cookie looks good. I know God told me to submit. But man, that cookie looks good. Do you really believe in God's final authority. How about us adults? When, when everything starts to fall apart, when your world feels like it's no longer what you dreamed it would be, do you shake your fists and curse God and say, forget you, God, I don't even want your authority in my life? Or do you say, God, I know my life isn't what I thought it would be, but I still trust in you. Teenagers, how about when you don't get that thing that you want? Or how about when school starts to get a little tough and it's tempting to cheat? Or how about when that person that you want so bad scorns you? You say, I still trust in God's final authority. Or you say, forget you, God. I'm not even listening anymore. Our actions reveal what we really believe. Something that might even fit closer to home is when COVID hits and all of the things that we have now associated with the pandemic, when everything starts to go chaotic in our political system and everything starts to get stirred up, do you reach for your anger card and say, God, I, I need to step in, 
Clearly you don't know what's going on here, God. If you were seeing what was happening in America, you would be as mad as me. Clearly you're not. So it's time for me to step in and become very vocal in my hate towards someone else. Or do you say, God, I don't know what's going on exactly, but I trust you in all this, and I know that you have called me to love my enemies. Those people that are on the other side of whatever political aisle you're on, you reach out and say, I've been called to love you. Our actions reveal what we really believe. That's what we're going to get into today in Psalm 97. This is the last of our Summer in the Psalms series. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 97. We are going to start a new series next week called Hopeful, that is hope, F-U-L-L, so we're going to be full of hope, because as Christians, we have hope. We have hope that no one else can even imagine, so we want to get into that, but this week is the last of the Summer in the Psalms, it's our last magisterial psalm, and we want to continue to emphasize, it's not my way, but it's God's way. It is the fifth Sunday, so I hope you also enjoy us for our lunch afterwards. And kids, I know last fifth Sunday, I said it was going to be short. I got some feedback, though. It wasn't short enough. So guess what, Ivory? It's going to be shorter, and we're going to use this at some point. So get excited about this, because uh, I don't know if Larry's as excited about the, the mall eight pounds swinging towards the grand piano, the baby grand piano, but sorry, Larry. Uh, I'll apologize right now. All right, so let's read through Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and the people see his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame. Who make their boasts and worthless idols? Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice. Because of your judgments, O Lord, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He perseveres the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. All right, let's dig in a little bit to this. We're not going to dig in too much, so so we're going to be brief, right? All right, the Lord reigns. Now, the, the way that this reigns is written, the, the tense that it's in, it means God assumed his kingship. Meaning God has always had authority. God has always been the final authority, the sovereign one in the universe. Who has final authority in your house? Ollie, who has final authority in your house? Who makes all the calls, calls all the shots in your house? I'm not going to make you answer that right now. But I want you to think about that. In your house, who is the one that calls the shots? They're the one with the authority, right? God is the one who calls the shots for the world. He is the one with final authority. He has he's the one with the say. And what this psalmist is getting at is he has the authority and he asserts his authority into the world. 
That's what the psalmist is getting at. Part of what we need to understand is that he doesn't always assert his authority into the world. His authority is always there, and it will have a final say. But we can see that God doesn't always assert that authority by the wreck of the world that is around us. God is not responsible for sin. It is not God who has micromanaged us to sin against one another. Now, what's really amazing about God is in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of the the wreck that sin causes, God, with his authority, can still turn it for good. Oftentimes, we get this kind of wrong. In fact, when my first wife died, I heard this saying quite a bit, God did this for a reason. First of all, if you know somebody that's going through grief, if you know someone that just had someone die, don't tell them God did this for a reason. That's not what they need to hear. Secondly, that's bad theology. God is not the author of evil. God doesn't kill people who don't deserve it. God doesn't go around killing people to teach me a lesson. Like God, that's an egocentric viewpoint, isn't it? God killed someone so that I would learn a lesson? That's not how God works. God didn't kill my first wife. My first wife made a mistake. And she died as a result. But what's amazing about God is God doesn't waste anything. And God doesn't waste anything in your life either. So God took this horrible tragedy in my life and he used it to shape me. He didn't cause it but he still used it for my good. And God can use your horrible tragedy, God can use whatever is happening in your life for his glory and for your good as well. So God reigns, he asserts his authority. That means that he doesn't always assert his authority, but he does at the appropriate times that he calls, not according to Aaron. Aaron is not God over the universe, so even if I think God should be asserting his authority, that doesn't mean God should. God is the one who who decides when he will assert his authority. So God asserts his authority, and then it gives us uh, what the world reacts to this. Let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. So the entire earth is going to rejoice when God asserts his authority. When God asserts his authority, righteousness comes about. Good things happen when God asserts his authority. Let the coastlands be glad is kind of like from sea to shining sea, right? It's all encompassing between the land. So it's very similar when we sing from sea to shining sea. What do we mean? We mean all of America. So let the coastlands rejoice is kind of like the same thing, from sea to shining sea. Then he's going to get into uh, God's great power. So when God does assert his authority, what does it look like? Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Clouds and thick darkness are, symbolize power. So this, you can think of like a thunderhead. We had a great rain yesterday. I saw, I watched the thunderhead was coming in, and it was powerful. I love watching thunderheads because we see the power. So there's power within this, but it also is a, describing a protective barrier between us and God. Because if we were to see God's full glory, we would just die on the spot. And so as a way to protect us, there is there is clouds and thick darkness all around him. And so what he's describing here is when God asserted his authority in the past, 
there were clouds and thick darkness all around him because if he had not had that protective barrier, his glory would destroy those who saw him asserting his authority. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so he builds his authority on righteousness, perfect moral authority is what he builds his authority on, or perfect moral judgment, moral clarity. Humanity cannot have perfect moral clarity because we are ever-changing. If you have one, just think back five years. What was moral then compared to what's moral now? Ten years. Now let's look five, ten, fifteen years into the future. We don't even know what, what humanity will consider moral then. We don't know what kind of changes. Humanity's morality is dependent upon our culture. Therefore, if humanity's morality is dependent upon its culture, it is constantly changing. It is subjective. We need a morality that is objective, a morality that is true and that is sure. That is God's morality. That is what we get when we submit ourselves to Scripture. Not an ever-changing morality. So, his, his righteous and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. Now this symbolizes his judgment. He will come and judge. The world will be judged by a perfectly moral God. You will be judged. And we all will be judged. Those of us who have not put our faith and trust in Christ will be judged by our actions. And the problem is, every single one of us at some point in our life have shaken our fist at God and said, forget you, God, I'm going to do things my way. I don't want to do things your way. And for this reason, every single one of us deserve eternal death. But God, being so rich in his love for us, came and he paid the price for you and me. God paid the price for your rebellion. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, He clothes you or He wraps you in His righteousness. So when that judgment day comes, when God's perfect moral standard comes, He sees you as wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus. But if you are not wrapped in the, in the righteousness of Jesus, you will be judged based upon your rebellion against God. It should motivate us all to put our faith and trust in Christ who died for our sins. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And what this is getting at is everything we think is powerful. We look at mountains and we think, man, those mountains exist forever before us. They will exist after us. And we think they are so strong and, and immovable. And what he's saying here is they will melt like wax before God. Have you ever played with wax? Have you ever lit a candle and watched the wax drip down? That's a mountain before God. Wax dripping down the candle. The next section is the effects of God's judgment. So the heavens will proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples will see his glory. This is a, a declaration of his perfect moral, morality and his power. So in his perfect morality as it's coming, as he's asserting his authority, the heavens will proclaim it. 
They will declare his perfect morality, and the peoples will see his glory. So all people, even if it's dimmed by the dark, thick clouds, will still see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame. So when he asserts his authority, all the worshipers of idols will be embarrassed. It will be embarrassing to worship something else, and then the God of the universe shows up. Now, before we get too arrogant, and we say, well, we're not stupid, we don't worship idols, there are things that control your heart that may not be an image that is carved. There are certain things that control your heart, certain desires. Those are idols because they have replaced God. And when you are worshiping or you are letting something other than God control your heart, when he asserts his authority, there will be embarrassment on your part because you will realize, I have let something other than the God of the universe control my heart. This could be anything, from comfort to the desire to be loved, to money, to fun. My default, if I'm honest with you, my default is adrenaline, going mountain biking, doing some cliff diving. Man, if I didn't submit my life to God, I'd be out there doing something. And if not that, then it would be comfort. But we all have some desires that can take over our heart. God will assert his authority, and if we are letting that desire overtake our heart, we will be embarrassed when the God of the universe comes. Then he continues, who make their boasts in worthless idols. And we talked a little bit about this last week, this term, worthless idols. It, our translations. Some of your translations won't have idols there. The term is really worthless, and it's elalim. Elalim means of not or of nothing, meaning this is, there's a play on words here because Elohim is God, and what he's getting at is these things that are fake gods are really nothing. These things that are controlling your heart, they're really nothing. So, so all those who boast in these nothings will be put to shame. They'll be embarrassed. And then in, the, in an ironic twist, he says, worship him, all you gods. And what he's getting at is even if these things that were nothing really did exist, they would worship the God that you are rejecting for that thing that is nothing. That's what he's saying there. Just think of the silliness of it all. And he continues, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth, you are exalted far above all gods. And what he's getting at here is when we look at the past and we remember all that God has done when he asserted his authority in the past, then that should make us celebrate when he will assert his authority again in the future. Let me ask you, and particularly kids, are you excited on Christmas morning? How many, show of hands, kids, how many of you are excited on Christmas morning? Oh yeah, I, I see almost everybody, and Terry's like, oh, I'm not a kid, but I will raise my hand anyways. Yeah, I, kid, I see a couple of adults in there. Yeah! Why are you excited on Christmas morning? Presents! How do you know you're getting a present on Christmas morning? What happened in the Christmas last year? You got presents! That, what about the Christmas before that? 
You have presents. You base the this idea that you're going to get presents on that Christmas based on these other Christmases, right? So you know the pattern that happens on Christmas. You're going to get a present. And so you wake up on Christmas Day and you're excited. We can do the same thing with God's authority. We see that he asserted his authority in the past, and it was good. So we know that when he asserts his authority again, it will be good. And we can be excited about God asserting his authority in this world. And then he gives, after all this, he gives what our response should be. And it's really a call to righteousness. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. If you believe in God's authority and you and you rejoice when he asserts his authority, then we should hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And essentially what he's doing is he's laying this out. You have a choice right now. You have a choice. You can submit your lives to Elohim, to that which is of nothing. Or you can submit your life to Yahweh, the one true God, the maker of the universe. Elohim can do nothing for you. In times of, of trials, when the storm hits, Elohim will leave you empty, will leave you searching. And so many of us, we, we see this in so many of our lives, where we start putting our faith, or, or we start trusting, or, or we let comfort become our God. And so we pursue comfort. And then when the storm hits and the comfort lets us down, instead of turning to Yahweh, we turn to another Elohim. And we think, well, well, that didn't cut it. So, so maybe this other thing, maybe it's not comfort that will really help me. Maybe if I only feel love. And so we turn towards someone that we think will provide us with love and fill us up. And then when that person fails you, that person will ultimately fail you. Ask my wife. Then we turn towards something else. And we get stuck in this cycle where we never actually trust Yahweh. The Elohim will leave you empty, but Yahweh will fill you up. Yahweh is the maker of the of heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth. And he is the one we can trust. I'm going to invite Ezra up real quickly here. Our actions reveal what we really believe. When we struggle, when we, when we run into issues, when we run into problems, what does that reveal? Are you trusting in the wrong thing? So, I've got a mall here, it's eight pounds. Uh, I never, I thought everything was an axe until I became a woodcutter. And then I realized there's a mall, there's an axe, there's a hatchet, there's actually different levels. This is eight pounds. My axe is four pounds. Ezra watched me do this several times yesterday, and so we learned. But what we have, we've kind of studied the pendulum. We, we learned that uh, if you study pendulums at all, you know that they lose energy, which is very helpful. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to put this, and I have to tell you, doing this to my own face is really easy. 
okay? Doing this to my child's face, I want to reach out and stop this with everything I have in me. I have to really struggle with not reaching out. And Ezra, the first time this happened, what did you do? You kind of moved a little bit, huh? You were a little bit scared. But after each time, it got easier and easier. So we just put this right to his face, and we know that the energy... Yeah, he's really good about this. We know that the energy will be lost, and it will not come back and hit him in the face. And I also have to trust the rope, because I tied the rope myself. And uh, Larry, I, I did check the rope several times, all right? Here we go. You ready? Now, you don't move, okay? Definitely don't lean forward. <laughs> That's pretty easy, right? Like, whoa. That... As long as I don't push on it, we know it's not going to hit him. See? And it gets easier. Oh, that one was easy. Yeah, it gets easier and easier each time. Ivory, what do you think? Is it going to hit him in the face this time? Oh, he's doing it himself. Okay, you going to let go? He brought it up high that time. Oh, <laughs> woo! <laughs> All right, you want to do it one more time? Or Yeah, you can go down. You can go down. <laughs> Woo! All right, so here's the deal. I can talk about the physics of a pendulum all I want. And I can, talk, I can, I can know the physics, but standing behind the mall is another thing. Standing behind it, and I mean, you can see this thing's pretty well used. We use it to destroy logs, nice big round chunks. We use it to, I mean, it will go straight through. So I know the damage that that can do. And it's one thing to stand here and let it swing at my own face. It's another thing to stand here and watch it as it swings towards my son's face. I can know the physics and still not trust the physics. So what's interesting is if this was like, 20 years ago, there's no way I would have done it because I'm like, or especially on my own, I would have been like, no way. It's going to hit my kid in the face. But I, I, I had the opportunity to watch a physics professor do it. And he explained all the physics behind it, and then he did it. And I'll tell you, watching someone else do it helped me recognize that I could do it. And then I got up there and I did it. And the more I did it, the easier it was and then Ezra watched me as I did it. And he was like, Dad, can I do that? And I was like, no. <laughs> but then I had to ask the question, wait, do I really believe that this is reality? Do I believe in the physics? Do I trust the physics? Do my actions reveal what I truly believe? So I said, come on up. I think we can make a lot of parallels with trusting God as the sovereign. It's one thing to say it. But if you really want to believe it, you have to study his word. I can talk about the physics all I want, but I will never really trust it until I see it in action. So we have to study it first. But then, if we never actually watch it in action, we'll stop. And when the storm comes, we won't trust it. So the next step is to watch other people. That's one of the reasons why I love an intergenerational church. 
if you're younger, grab one of the senior saints that are around here and, and talk to them. Because they've got stories about God's sovereignty and how God rules this world that will blow your mind. That's why we gather together, so we can encourage each other. So we can watch other people in their walk and say, your walk is encouraging my walk. Because I see God's hand in your life. So we watch other people, but then still, there are some storms that hit that will absolutely shake our world. And if you're not practicing the sovereignty of God in your life, when that storm hits, you will walk away. We have to study Scripture. We have to walk with one another. And we have to practice God's sovereignty in our life every day. There is a culture that we live in that says, I want to do things my way. Not as one who kneels. Not as one who will submit to a higher authority. But we don't want to live that way. We want to recognize God as King and to live as people who bow to Him and submit to His authority. So when the storm comes, what do you turn to? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for physics. You created this world with physical laws that we can trust. We know that a pendulum, if we do this right, we know the outcome every single time. And just like physical laws, you also have created spiritual laws and moral laws that you have written in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that we would submit to your word, which reveals your laws. That we would remind ourselves, that we would walk together, reminding each other that you are the king and the creator of the universe. You have asserted your authority in the past, and you will have final authority in the future where you will assert your authority and there will be no more rebellion against you. And we pray that we would see that in your name we pray.